Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Last week called Engage, and uh, no pun intended. But uh, we are we're talking about how to win the everyday battles in our spiritual lives. And I don't know about you, but I find out even in my own life to be a challenge. You know, it's crazy how easy it is to to get distracted. It's easy to uh, have good intentions. You know, of living victorious in our lives. But yet, what happens? We get distracted. We, we allow, you know, maybe things related to, you know, the, the temptations or the weaknesses of our flesh to get in the way. And as a result, we don't necessarily live victorious. We fall into pitfalls or situations or circumstances. And we think to ourselves, man, how in the world did I let that happen? Well, it's because of the enemy that we fight each and every day that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And so last week, during week one, we kind of gave an introduction to uh, what not only we're talking about throughout this series, but ultimately we talked about the, the, the belt of truth. And so if you missed last week, let me go ahead and encourage you just to, to at some point later this week, maybe check out that message so you can get caught up. But I want to just begin by sharing with you a little situation that happened a few nights ago. Uh, it's crazy. Our little dog by the name of Bougie, a uh, little Shih Tzu, she's, uh, she's all bougie by, by, uh, by all, I mean, like over-the-top bougie. But anyway, she's a girl and a little dog and uh, very bougie, very particular, very, very, very prim and proper. And uh, so anyway, uh, I don't know what happened, about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, she needed to go out. She needed to go to the bathroom. And so she's kind of pacing. She's going from my side of the bed to Michelle's side of the bed, back to my side of the bed. And, of course, I'm thinking that Michelle's going to get up and deal with it. And, uh, of course, Michelle's probably laying there thinking that I'm going to get up and deal with it. And so after her pacing back and forth a few times, I finally kind of threw back the covers and said, all right, I'm going to deal with it. So I took Bougie outside to, you know, go do her thing. But before I went outside, I must confess to you, I didn't take the time to put on any clothes. A little confession here. I know we're on live, you know, online service here. But uh, I went outside. We live out in the country and, uh, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not going to mess. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to mess with putting on any clothes. We're out in the country. Nobody's going to see us. And who cares anyway? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's asleep. So I take Bougie out. She does her thing. We come back inside. Well, the very next morning, I get a text. And it's a group text. And the group text is a, a, really a text that includes me, my wife Michelle, and all of our kids. Michelle had sent the text out with a picture. And guess what the picture was? The picture was me taking our dog Bougie out in my tidy whities You say, what? Just getting real here. 
Yes, she captured me on our ring doorbell. We had just installed this little ring doorbell system. And what was crazy is that it caught me on video camera. And she had the evidence. She had the proof. And therefore, she sends that camera shot, that little video picture, to all of the kids. And they said, look at Dad. He got busted at 3 o'clock this morning taking bougie out. And I thought to myself, wow, crazy. Man, you can't even get any privacy around here anymore. But you know what's crazy is that's exactly what the devil does. The devil, whether we realize it or not, I mean, he is watching us like a hawk. I mean, he's got the ring doorbell. He's got the surveillance camera. And he knows exactly when you get up and you walk out the door undressed, going off to work, going off to school, going off to whatever appointment you have, and the very moment that we leave the house, the very moment we get up and we walk out without putting on the full armor of God, the devil knows, I have got you. Because the devil throughout the day is going to find a way to trip you up. The devil is going to find a way to lure you into temptation or distract you or defeat you or throw a curveball at you that you didn't see coming. And your reaction to that curveball might be the very thing the devil uses to trap you. And that's the reason why the scripture says it this way in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Paul said, stay, Peter said, stay alert. Turn to your neighbor, look at him and say, stay alert. And then Peter goes on to say, watch out. Turn to your other neighbor and say, watch out. So we got to stay alert. We got to watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Why? Because he prowls around looking. Looking and he's roaring, looking for someone to devour, to catch on video surveillance, saying, hey, he or she, they're a prime target. And so today what we're going to learn is we're going to learn that the best way for us to get up and walk out the door is to be fully clothed, to put on the full, army, uh, the full armor of God so that we can withstand the attack so that we can fight off the fire arrows, the darts, those things that the enemy is going to use to lure us and to trap us, to devour us spiritually in our lives. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, which is the passage of scripture that we're learning from, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians there in Ephesus. And it's crazy because Ephesus, unfortunately, was a, was a culture and a city similar to what we're living in today. It was like wheels off, morally. Uh, the, 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 the sex god Diana was, was this goddess that, in fact, there was a statue right there in the, 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 the city of Ephesus where people basically would, were worshiping the sex god. And all kinds of perversion, it was a very wealthy, materialistic environment. And so here the Apostle Paul is trying to challenge these group of believers to live in victory. And he's basically saying, as he's chained to a Roman soldier, and he's, as he's observing what this Roman soldier is actually wearing, Paul is in prison in Rome, and so therefore, as he's chained to this Roman prisoner, he is seeing... Basically, the body armor, if you will, that this particular soldier had on. And so Paul is beginning to relate the different pieces of the soldier's armor to the same kind of armor that we need to wear each 
in every day. And so in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, Paul said, finally, he's closing out his letter. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul is helping them to understand that, hey, what you're fighting against is bigger and stronger than you could ever imagine. We're not fighting against just people. No, we're fighting against a very organized demonic scheme, the devil and his angels, the demons of hell are out to steal, kill, and destroy. They are out to take you and your family out. And so we got to realize that with that, he goes on to say that we got to pull on the full armor of God so that the day of evil, when it comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, he says, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. He said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, he said, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So today, as we talk about and continue with our, our message series around the different parts and pieces of the armor of God, last week we talked about the the, the belt buckle of truth, if you will. And today I want to talk with you for a few moments about what this piece of armor means related to the breastplate of righteousness. So I've asked some team members to come and join me on stage. And as they're coming, let me just kind of help you better understand a little bit about the breastplate of righteousness, but specifically why the Roman soldiers wore breastplates. Many people think that the breastplate was something basically positioned to protect the front, but not only was it designed to protect the front, there was also a piece of metal that went over the head, the neck, you, if you will, of the soldier, so it not only fit on the front side, but it also fit along the back side. So therefore, the soldier was protected on the front as well as on the back. Now the reason for the breastplate was because in the midst of battle, as the soldier perhaps was in combat, one-on-one, -on -one, maybe with someone else, here's what would happen. The breastplate could serve as a protective barrier from being maybe jabbed in the chest by a spear or a knife or a sword. And so therefore, the breastplate was designed to protect the chest, but it was ultimately designed to protect the heart. And not only that, it was designed to protect the other vital organs from the, basically the top of the neck 
to the bottom of the waves. So it was designed to be a source of protection for that soldier. And what's interesting is that when Paul looked at this breastplate, he saw the protection that it provided. And he was reminded that as believers, we need to put on the same kind of breastplate to protect us on the front and on the back, but ultimately to protect our hearts. And ultimately, it is a breastplate of righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are two kinds of righteousness that I want to kind of display here for just a moment. One of them is referred to as positional righteousness. Now, I've asked a couple of our teammates. Y'all come out here in the light so everybody can see you. So this is Ron. Can y'all say hello to Ron? All right, Ron, you come stand over here, all right? All right, Ron is going to be God the Father, okay? Doesn't he look like God the Father? Man, he's a good-looking guy. Single, by the way. You take a resume? All right, so God the Father over here. All right, Jamie, you come stand over here. Jamie, this is going to be Jesus Christ, right? Doesn't she look like Jesus Come on, somebody. All right. Now, we have over here, we have Naomi. Now, Naomi is a Christian. She's a student here at Lake Nona High School. She's rocking it, too. Amazing. So proud of her. So here we have God the Father. We have Jesus, God the Son. And we have Naomi over here. She's just an everyday follower of Jesus. Now, I got a question for all of you. God the Father loves Jesus, right? In fact, he gave his one and only son to come into this world to ultimately die upon a cross for your sins and for mine. God so loved, he gave. And so he gave his one and only son. So Jamie over here represents Jesus. Now i got to ask you a question. How many of you here today really believe that God loves Jamie more than Naomi. How many of you think that God accepts Jamie and loves Jamie more than Naomi? How many of you believe that? Man, y'all are a smart crowd. Very good answer. It's exactly right. You see, the reason why God the Father doesn't see Jamie any more valuable or any more acceptable than he sees Naomi is because of exactly what Jesus did on the cross. And because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and because of God's love for all of us as sinners, what you got to understand is that when Jesus left this earth, okay, when Jesus ascended back to be with the Father, what he told everybody who was going to put their faith in him is that he would send his spirit to live and indwell inside of us. And so therefore, when God the Father sees Naomi, God the Father doesn't see her any less than what he sees Jesus Christ. He doesn't love her any less than what he loves and accepts Jesus Christ. Because when God the Father sees Naomi, he doesn't see Naomi in her sin. What God the Father sees is he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus living and indwelling inside of her. Isn't that awesome to know? 
All right, y'all can have a seat. Thank y'all so much. Y'all are going to be famous Hollywood actors and actresses one day. So here's the deal. What you got to understand, that is called positional righteousness. There's another Bible word for that. It's known as justification. That simply means that we are born again. And God puts his spirit inside of us. Listen, we are made new just as if we have never sinned. So therefore, when God sees us, listen, he's not looking at our past. He's not looking at our shortcomings, our faults, our failures. No, when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. He sees the finished work of the cross. He sees the fact that we have been made new because of what Christ did for us. So that is called positional righteousness. Now the, ten the temptation sometimes as believers in Christ is to say, oh, that's awesome to know that when I put my faith in Jesus, he loves me, he forgives me, he saves me, he changes me. Therefore, I can go live any way I want to live. Because God loves me, he's forgiven me, he's forgotten my past, so therefore, I can do what I want to do. Now, that's not God's plan and purpose. And yet, sadly and unfortunately, that is the mindset, the attitude that many so-called believers, followers of Jesus Christ often have. I call it fire insurance. It's kind of like, oh, well, at least I'm not going to hell because Jesus saved me, so therefore, I can live like hell, though. And that's what a lot of Christians do. So it's not enough just to have positional righteousness. It's another thing to have practical righteousness. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. So that is positional righteousness. But what is practical righteousness? Practical righteousness is godly living. It is godly behavior. It is living our lives with a pure, innocent, holy heart that is hot for God. That is what practical righteousness is. And here's what Ephesians 4 verse 24 says. Put on your new nature created to be like God truly righteous and holy. So today, we even sang a song a few moments ago talking about pure and holy. Why is that important? Because that's God's desire for us is to live pure and holy and innocent lives. Why is that so important? Because God has called us as believers to be salt and light. God has called us to be imitators of God. Listen, God has called us to be his ambassadors. Therefore, when we get up in the morning and we put on the full armor of God and we go to our workplace or we go to our school campus or we're out about in the community, we're going to a restaurant or maybe we're going out with some friends on a Friday or Saturday night, God desires for us as believers in Jesus Christ to not only be secure in our position of righteousness, but also to display the practical righteousness in the way that we live. Holy, pure, innocent, where we are making wise choices, decisions that honor God, that serve as a powerful testimony to everything and everybody around me. Why? So that they're not looking at our righteousness. No, they're looking at the person of Jesus who's living his life 
through us. And that is God's plan. He wants us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know what the Bible teaches us? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, verse 8, known as the Beatitudes. What did he say? He said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. Why? For they will see God. Hey, if you want your heart, excuse me, if you want your life, you want your marriage, you want your family relationships, you want your finances, you want your career, you want all areas and aspects of your life to be blessed, then here's the secret. The secret is to have a pure heart. The secret is to live a life of righteousness so that our lives, so that our hearts are purely honoring to God. It is a motivation that we have, not because we have to, it's because we get to make a difference in the lives of people. And the only way we can make a difference in the lives of people, to point other people to Jesus, is to live our lives in such a way that our lives are attracted to those who don't know Jesus. And when we live our lives that blend in like everybody else, and we do what everybody else does, we live like everybody else, guess what? We dilute and we diminish our testimony, our faith, our witness. And therefore, guess who wins? The devil. Because that's exactly what he wants, to steal, to kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to knock you out. The enemy wants you to conform to the ways of this world. The last thing the enemy wants for you is to be blessed. The last thing for you that the enemy desires is for you to reach your full redemptive potential through Jesus Christ. The last thing the enemy wants is for you to live in victory in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your career, in your finances. That's the last thing he wants. So the, 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 the most important thing to him is to get you to live anything but a righteous life through Jesus Christ. So with that, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. So how can we wear the breastplate of righteousness? How do we put on this piece of armor that is so vitally important to our lives? Because here's what I've realized in my life as a Christian. How many of you, you probably have watched the news in the past few days and the last week or so and everything that's going on there in Israel and, and now uh, I was even watching early this morning, you know, some of the U.S. Uh, military and, and the ships. There's basically a fleet of ships that are now there in the Mediterranean positioning themselves. You know what's interesting about a ship? A ship doesn't sink because of the water that surrounds them. You know how a ship sinks? A ship sinks because of the water that gets inside of them. The same is true in our lives as believers. Listen, the devil wants you to be distracted, to be preoccupied by all of the things that are going on around you. Because he knows that if you can get distracted by all the things that are going on inside of you, excuse me, around you, then he can get inside of you in the sense that he will take, listen, he will take control. He, he will place a stronghold in your life. 
And so we can't allow the strongholds of the enemy to take us out. That's what we talked about last week. Therefore, we got to make sure that we put on the right armor, the breastplate of righteousness. So how do we do that? We have to protect our hearts. We have to guard our hearts from the enemy's attacks. We have to protect ourselves from the world, the flesh, the devil, the things that are going on around us so that the devil doesn't do anything and everything he can to defeat us. So Jesus one day was talking to a crowd of people. And it was interesting because a lot of people were questioning why Jesus taught with such simplicity as he was trying to explain different truths that many people wanted to to hear from him when it came to explaining about various spiritual and religious aspects. And what's interesting is that Jesus taught a lot in parables or stories that basically helped take maybe something that was confusing or maybe something controversial, something that people had a hard time maybe wrapping their mind around, and he would tell a parable or a story to help paint a picture of not only what something was, but most importantly, why it was important. And this is what he did, known as the parable of the soils. And in Luke chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, Jesus goes on to say, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path. And it was trampled upon, and the birds ate it up. And some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and with it, and choked all of the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So Jesus basically told this story, this parable, to illustrate four kinds of hearts. Again, the breastplate breastplate of righteousness is designed to protect the heart. And so therefore, if the enemy is trying to attack the heart, if the enemy is trying to keep you from living a pure life by having a pure heart, then how is he going to attack you? He's going to attack you from the impurities of this world. And so therefore, he's going to throw everything he can in front of you to lure you, to distract you, To convince you that the impurities of this world, what's going on around you, can't hurt you. But here's what we need to learn. Jesus wanted us to understand the first kind of heart, and it is referred to as a polluted heart. Because he said there in verse 12, he said, The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts. And prevent them from believing and from being saved. So here's what the enemy does. The enemy, what does he do? He tramples upon our hearts. How does he trample upon our hearts? He tramples upon our hearts by the impurities of this world. He tramples upon our hearts by the difficulties and the challenges and those little fiery arrows, those little fiery darts that he throws at us to defeat us, to intimidate us. He'll do, again, anything and everything he possibly can to trample upon our hearts. Why? So that we get weary. 
so that we get defeated, so we get discouraged, we get depressed. Our lives are, are living in fear with anxiety because of all the things, again, that are happening around us. And so what does he do? He tramples upon our hearts. Now here's how pollution takes place. Pollution takes place in our lives in one of two ways. Number one, pollution takes place, in other words, the impurities of our heart begin to take place, number one, by the choices that we make. These are the things that we bring upon ourselves. How many of you have ever brought some bad things upon yourself? I have. We all have, right? Those are the poor decisions that we make. Those moments where we think, man, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I react that way? Or sometimes they're more serious. It could be things that we bring upon ourselves that eventually over time becomes an addiction, becomes a stronghold. It could be unresolved anger. It could be, you know, anything and everything, greed, jealousy, things that maybe we have chosen, that we have allowed to take place, that the enemy uses, once again, the impurities to contaminate, to pollute our hearts. Those are the choices that we make. But then, sometimes the enemy will also use another strategy. And if he can't get us to trip and fall by making bad choices in our lives, guess what he'll do? He'll use people. And here's what's interesting. When he uses people, he'll use people in our lives by things that they say or things that they do to allow those reactions, those hurts, those challenges that people bring into our lives to cause us to question ourselves, to, to suddenly find ourselves ravaged with hurt and anger and resentment. And that's exactly what the enemy does. The enemy is not here to unite people. The enemy is to divide people. And so therefore, if he can get between you and your spouse, if he can create a wedge between you and your kids, or between you and your parents, if he can create a wedge between you and a coworker or a friend, if he can get between you and someone else that you love, that you care about, and he can create hurt and misunderstandings. Listen, it's like the old saying, the furthest distance between two people or misunderstandings. And the number one destroyer of relationships is anger. So if the enemy can't get you to make your own bad choices, here's what he's going to do. He's going to throw those little fiery arrows about maybe something that somebody said. Maybe somebody stabbed you in the back as far as maybe something that they said. They, 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 they began to circulate a false rumor. Maybe it was a, just a spirit of disloyalty. Maybe somebody did something to you. Maybe something somebody said to you. And all of a sudden, all of the lies that the evil one is now using has done what? Has caused your heart to be trampled upon, to be polluted, to become contaminated. And that's the reason why in James 1.21 it says it this way. So get rid of all the filth and evil in our lives and humbly accept the word of God has planted in our hearts for it has the power to save our souls. 
So rather than focusing on the lies, we got to focus on the truth of the Word of God. That's the reason why we got to put on the, the belt of truth around our waist. Why? Because it is integrated into every area of our lives. And when we have the breastplate of righteousness on, here's what the breastplate of righteousness does. It helps guard against the polluted things, the things that the evil one is using to contaminate and pollute our hearts. And so therefore, we got to make sure that we are in right standing with God and we are in right standing with other people. Why? So that we can live our lives in such a way where we have the righteous living through the purity of our hearts. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, the enemy is a liar and he is a deceiver. Number two, not only is there a polluted heart that Jesus talked about, but there's also the distracted heart. In Luke 8, verse 18, excuse me, in, in Luke 8, verse 13, it says it this way. The seed that fell on rock is like those who hear God's teaching and accept it gladly. But notice, they don't allow the teaching to go deep into their lives. They believe for a little while, but then when trouble comes, they give up. It's interesting to me that a lot of people find this area of their life to be somewhat of a challenge. Because all of a sudden, now they're distracted. Now all of a sudden, they're focusing on this giant that has suddenly emerged in their life. And it could be a financial setback, could be a, a physical setback, could be a relational setback, you know, could be something going on in their life. And all of a sudden, what now appears to be so big, they suddenly forget the bigness of God. So therefore, their hearts become distracted. Why? Because their hearts have not allowed the truth of the Word of God to grow deep in their heart so that they know how to call out a lie. They know how to recognize a lie. They, they realize that, that now all of a sudden, because of what the enemy is thrown at us, whatever that is, is too big for me to defeat. Well, here's what happens. Because of that, their hearts have grown to be this this distracted heart. Why? Because they're focusing on all of the things that has now taken over their life. Now all of those things that have become so big. But what they fail to realize is that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If God is for me, then who in the world can be against me? Rather than focusing on how big our problems are, a mature believer says, no, I'm going to focus on how big God is. God is bigger than my problem. But the problem is, is we get distracted, right? And we put our focus on the other things. We allow the noise of this world to be louder than the voice of God in our hearts and our lives. We probably have all, you know, got little cell phones and you probably have seen the little red dots. You know, the red dot on your message, the red dot on your email, the little notifications. And you'll see the little number, it says three or four. Sometimes, you know, like mine, I got like 27 or whatever, these little red dots that, that pop up, right? What does it do? It kind of serves as a, an attention getter. And all of a sudden, you kind of focus on those little red dots. You start focusing on, you know, all of the updates or focusing on the messages or the whatever that's coming your way. And what happens? We get distracted. And there's no doubt about it. 
Man, the evil one is doing anything and everything he can to distract us from our focus to be on God. Listen to this. I read this the other day. blew my mind. Kids between the ages of 8 and young adults 18 are on their phone 7.5 hours a day. That's over 53 hours a week. And you know what? We, as adults, are probably no different. And this little deal right here can become our greatest adversary. This little thing right here can become our greatest source of distraction. So here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to go deeper with God before you go digital. How do you do that? You do that by putting your focus on God before you, before you put the focus on what's going on around you. That's why the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. Check your heart before you check your phone. It's so vitally important that if we're going to live the practical kind of righteousness that the breastplate of righteousness will allow us to be able to live, then we've got to get rid of the polluted things, that it, of the impurities that, that want to defile and pollute our hearts, and we have to get rid of the distractions that compete with our hearts. And that can only trip us up and cause us to fall. The third kind of heart that, the, that Jesus was referring to in this parable is referred to as the immature heart. In Luke 8, verse 14, it says it this way. The seeds that fell among the thorns, which can also be referred to as weeds, represent those who hear the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. So, notice carefully, they never grow into maturity. So here's what happens. What happens is, is not only do they not allow the root of God's truth to grow deep into their hearts, but now all of a sudden they never really reach their full potential. Why? Because they're still trying to chase after all of the other things that the world has to offer. But here's what we got to realize. What we have to realize is that the weeds and the thorns that creep up in our lives can only be, as a be a result of one thing, and it's, it's the neglect. And many of us don't reach our full spiritual potential. In other words, we don't really become who God desires for us to become. In other words, our character is not fully formed spiritually in our lives, and the main reason why is because our hearts are still immature. Our hearts are not allowing the truth of God and His Word to take root in our hearts. So therefore, not only do the cares of this life and all the distractions of this world compete, but also it defeats us because we're not grounded in the truth of God. And I'm just going to share my heart with you. Many of us in this room live defeated lives. You're here at church, and it's because it is in your heart. You have good intentions. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have good intentions. You would not be here today and carve out your Sunday if you didn't have a desire, a want to. 
We all want to. We all have good intentions. But the bigger question is, is not what we encounter here on Sunday. The bigger question is, is how is this going to affect our Monday? How is this going to affect our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, throughout the rest of the week? How is what we are doing in this room going to apply to our lives when it comes to our marriage? How we react and how we talk with one another, how we treat one another at work, what we do, the decisions we make, the priorities of our lives. How is what we are talking about today going to affect the everyday situations and circumstances and scenarios of our lives? The only way that we can do that is to, listen, live our lives in the kind of maturity, the character, like characteristics that God wants us to have, the character in the heart of Jesus Christ. Our number one goal in this world, in this life as followers of Jesus Christ, is to grow to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can be. And I'm just going to be very honest and very straightforward. You can't do that on your own. You need other people in your life. That's the reason why the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Listen, you cannot live victoriously alone. You need people to encourage you. You need people to stand with you, to support you. Hey, when you're going through difficulties, you need somebody who's there with you. Hey, when you feel vulnerable through the temptations and all of the things the enemy is using to trip you up, to lure you into whatever it is the enemy is using to distract you, hey, you need people who love you enough to speak the truth in love and say, hey, you're better than this. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you. Don't allow the enemy to distract you, to trip you up, to defeat you. You need people in your life who can speak truth into your life and to encourage you. Why? Because we're better together. We're stronger together. And the biggest temptation we fall into is, that, is, 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 is this. They'll say, well, that's what I want. That's what my intentions are. But I don't have time. Well, if you don't have time to grow and become all that God has destined for you to be, then I'm telling you, you're walking around naked every single day. You are vulnerable to the, to the lies and to the fiery darts and arrows that the enemy is going to use nonstop to trip you up. We need a full armor of God on our lives. Listen, we need to put on the full armor of God each and every day. We got to stay alert. We got to watch out. Why? Because the devil is doing anything and everything he can to take us out. Listen, he won't stop. And we need people in our lives to help us. We got an incredible text message the other day. And, you know, the number one complaint that I hear from people when it comes to small groups being involved in a life group is I don't have time. People say, well, I'm just busy, I travel a lot, we're just busy, our kids, you know, our kids are, you know, we got, we got this practice and we got this activity and we got this and we got that. And I get it, I understand. But all of those things keep us from growing hearts of maturity. All of those things can compete with us growing to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And the temptation is, is to make excuses 
rather than make changes. And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to make necessary changes in order to allow the things that are most important in our lives, no matter what stage or season we're in, like parenting, (laughs) to not even allow that stage or season in our lives to keep us from continuing to grow. Why? Because we need the support and the encouragement. Even in the realm and stage of parenting, we need that kind of support from one another. We were um, so blessed and encouraged. In fact, some of these couples are dear friends of ours. We, Michelle and I, about a year ago, we, we uh, were part of a small group with some of these couples. And I don't know what happened, but man, they all got pregnant in small group. And, uh, and so, God, fast forward, God has done some amazing things and some beautiful, beautiful babies um, have been birthed. And I don't know if we have a picture. Do we have a picture of this small group? This is a life group that is currently meeting. Check this out. These are all brand new parents, brand new babies. Isn't that incredible? Now, if anybody had, if anybody had excuses like, oh, well, we just don't have time. We can't do this. We don't have a babysitter. They're not allowing those obstacles to stand in their way from growing together, encouraging one another, and supporting one another. And here's what's awesome. We got a text from one of the group members, and they're here in the room, and so I'm calling them out. But one of them sent a text and said, hey, I hope you guys are doing well. I had some pictures that we wanted to share from my li- our life group today, and we discussed Pastor Rodney's Sunday, uh, sermon from this past Sunday and related it to us being new parents. And not only will the whole armor of God protect our souls and spirits, but it will also help protect our children's souls and spirits until they are able to put on the full armor of God themselves. Isn't that incredible? Wow. And that's what it takes. That's what it takes. It takes that kind of commitment to say, you know what? I'm not going to allow my busyness. I'm not going to allow my obstacles. I'm not going to allow all these other distractions over here to keep my heart from growing and maturing and becoming all that God desires for it to be. And we're going to need all the help and the support and the encouragement we can get along the way. And that's why life groups are so vitally important. So, what do we have? There's the polluted heart that Jesus talked about, the distracted heart, and the immature heart. But what about the prepared heart? Let me close with this. In Luke 8, verses 15, it says, And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, notice, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So here... You have the prepared heart, the person who has put on the full armor of God, the person who is wearing the breastplate of righteousness. They understand their positional righteousness, who they are in Christ, whose they are in Christ. But they also realize the practical aspect of righteousness, that they live it out and they walk it out day after day by putting on the full armor of God, by allowing the truth of the word of God to transform their hearts to transform their lives so that their hearts are protected, so their hearts remain pure and innocent and holy in a way that truly honors God in every aspect of their lives. Much easier said than done, obviously. But we need the full armor of God and the breastplate of righteousness 
that we wear each and every day. This is so vitally important. So you may be here and you're asking yourself the question, well, how do I do that? I mean, that's what I want. How can I live in victory? How can I walk each and every day knowing that I'm walking a victorious life? What's the key? What's the secret of having this pure heart, this heart of righteousness? Well, in Psalm 119, the psalmist says it this way. How can a young man stay pure? Only by living in the word of God and walking in its truth. He goes on to say, I have longed for you with the passion of my heart. And don't let me stray from your directions. I consider your word to be my greatest treasure. And I treasure it in my heart to keep me from committing sin's treason against you. My wonderful God, you are to be praised above all. Teach me the power of your decrees. I speak continually of your laws as I recite out loud your counsel to me. I find more joy in following what you tell me to do than in chasing after the wealth of the world. I set my heart on your precepts and pay close attention to all your ways. My delight is found in all of your laws, and I won't forget to walk in your word. That's the key. That's the secret to living a righteous life, the practical kind of righteousness, a life that has a pure heart, a life that's living a life of innocence and purity and holiness that allows our lives to take on more and more of the character and the characteristics of who Jesus is in every area of our lives. You know, you may be here today as a follower of Jesus, and you're thinking, man, alive, how do I, how do I get that back? There was a day in my life where I used to have that purity, that sense of innocence. But I seemingly have lost that. I seemingly have abandoned that, and I, I long to have it back. Well, the first thing we need to do is just simply repent. That just simply means that you agree with God that, his ways are better than our ways and just agree with God that we've sinned. We have fallen short of his expectations, his standard, his, his perfect way for our life. And we just say, God, I've messed up. And we confess. And not only do we confess, we simply refocus our lives. So after we confess our sin and agree with God about our sin, we say, okay, now I'm just going to refocus my life. I'm going to get back to the basics. I'm going to get back to doing the things that I could be doing and I should be doing and I should have been doing and could have been doing all along. I'm going to get back to the things that I know that's going to help me live victorious. And I'm going to start by just spending time with God. I'm going to, I'm going to spend time with God in His Word. I'm going to spend time just talking with God through prayer. I'm, I'm going to get back in church. I'm going to prioritize surrounding myself with the right people that's going to help me grow. I'm going to put God first in my finances. I'm going to allow my life to take on a, a form of purity and innocence so that my life can be a testimony and a witness 
so my light can shine bolder and brighter to those around me? And what do we do? We simply begin to revive our hearts so that our hearts are rejuvenated. Our hearts, once again, are refocused on the things that matter. Our lives and our hearts are focused on Jesus. That's it. That's it. So the breastplate of righteousness, it's not just something we wear. It is a life that we commit to walking out and living out each and every day. So today, where is your heart? Do you have a prepared heart? Is it a polluted heart? Is it an immature heart? Is is it a distracted heart? Whatever it is, maybe you need to repent of some things today. You need to refocus your life so that you can revive your heart. So that your heart has the heart of righteousness, of purity, of innocence that God longs for us to have. Let's bow our heads and our hearts together in prayer. As we pray today, you know, even as Christians, as believers in Christ, there are moments, as I stated, that we just simply need to be still. and We just need to know that our hearts are right with the Lord. And so in, the, in this moment, in the quietness of this hour, maybe you're watching online, I just want to encourage you right where you are, wherever you are, would you, just, would you just quieten your heart for a moment and ask God to reveal to you, if he hasn't already, the condition of your heart. And today, if you walked into this room without a prepared heart, would you just simply ask God today, to forgive you of whatever it is that maybe the enemy is using. It could be distractions. It could be the the cares and the burdens of this life that maybe you've been carrying that you've allowed the enemy to serve as giants in your life and you have forgotten the bigness of your God. Would you just today let God revive your heart? Some of you here today, maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you came and maybe what's missing in your life is a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that has absolutely nothing to do with religion, has nothing to do with even being raised in a church, it has everything to do with putting your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus Christ to be the Lord, the boss, the head coach, the CEO of your life, of your heart. And if there's never been a defining moment for you where you have admitted to God that you have fallen short of his plan and his purpose and his expectations for your life and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I just want to invite you right where you are to pray this prayer. 
Make this moment a defining moment in your heart, in your life. Just say, dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner and I turn from my sin. And Jesus, today I believe in my heart that you died on the cross and you arose again. And today by faith I'm inviting you into my life to forgive me and to save me and to change me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. If you just prayed that prayer just then, and you're here in the room, you're here in the room, would you let me know by just holding up your hand high toward heaven today, saying, Yes, I just prayed that prayer and just invited Christ into my life today. That's awesome. Anybody else? Just say, hey, count me in. Count me in. That's wonderful. God bless you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for these that lifted their hands. God, I pray as we all today take a step towards you as we come close to you. Father, we pray that you would come close to us. God, revive our hearts. God, help us to live pure and holy lives. God, help us to live lives that are fully pleasing to you. God, may we put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And God, may we be ready as we continue to put on the other pieces of the armor, God, to withstand against the enemy's schemes and the strategies the evil one wants to use to take us out. So, Father, we today, we thank you for all that you've done. We realize that today we are not praying for victory. We're praying from a place of victory because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. We ask this in his mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.